All right, how are we feeling tonight? Yeah, excited to be here for the first service at Barracks Row Saturday night. I'm pumped about this and a uh, little bit nervous too because I'm used to speaking at Ebenezer's when you have like cups of coffee in your system and you're overly amped and excited to hear something. And I always say something to Nia, I said, whenever I speak at Ebenezer Saturday night, like I realize my jokes are not that funny. But there's so much coffee in the room, I think people just get going. And so I'm minus that coffee tonight, so a little nervous. Hope you're with me tonight, but we're going to have a good time. And uh, I'm going to see if I can get friendly with this mic as we go, too. So uh, yeah, believing for a good work tonight. And uh, man, let me just say real quick, too, appreciate Pastor Allen's leadership just uh, leading us over here and through the transition. And I just say this, getting to know... Pastor Allen over the past couple of months, man, this guy's the real deal. He loves the Lord, yeah. And uh, he's, he's just a, he's a man of prayer, and he genuinely seeks God. And I just love being around the guy because he's always got a scripture on his heart. He's always got something moving, and he's always got something speaking to him. And so, man, I just want to uh, kind of give an affirmation to him and just tell you behind the scenes this guy's loving the Lord, so I encourage you to continue to get to know him and uh, just continue to build that relationship. Well, hey, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump in. How's my mic doing, guys? Okay, it keeps hanging on me, so. Well, about 10 years ago, I was back in Chicago hanging with some of my old church buddies, and I was one of their birthdays, so we went out that night, and from time to time... We would get in interesting theological discussions. This was one of those times. And so we went out, and the topic that night was uh, whether the believer should drink alcohol. And so we're talking through this and giving different views. And 1 Corinthians 10, 23, some things are permissible, but um, not everything is beneficial. And we're talking about addictions, and we're talking about being in the world but not of it, and you know, abstinence versus moderation, and we're all given opinion. And you know how it works. Like after a while, people start to get heated up a little bit, and opinions start going, and faces get redder, and you know, things are moving, and and things kind of came to a head when one guy blurted out, "Yeah, but if we start doing things like drinking, then then how will we be any different from those who don't follow Christ?" And he po- and I think it's actually a, a pretty good question. And I want to pose this question to us today. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, what makes you different from someone who's not? What what actually defines you? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you abstain from alcohol. (laughs) I know some of you guys are shifting in your seat right now, getting a little nervous on that one. No, if you believe in my four spiritual laws, no, you will be my disciples if you love one another. Now, our culture right now is obsessed with love. You look at literature, you look at art, you look at music, you look at film, 
you, you see this topic of love is all over the place, right? You'll just look at the, the Billboard Top 40 right now. There's like 30 songs on that list that have to do in some way with love. We're obsessed with love. But today, I'm not talking about a sappy, emotional, kind of feeling-based love. Today, what I'm talking about is a love that is grounded in commitment. And it's, it's this, this right here, right now, in your face. It doesn't change as your feelings change. The church does not exist as an alternative to, to cultural love. Do you know that? Cultural love exists because there was an absence of the real and the true love within the church. Pastor Dave says it best. He says, man, you can't fake real. I love that. You cannot fake. I'm not here today to just talk about love. I'm not here to make an appeal for love. This is not an apologetic for love. This is an apologetic today for God's love, for his love that comes down and changes us and moves us and pushes us out. Let me tell you something. When his love comes into us, it has to then come out of us. Otherwise, is it really his love or is it somebody else's love? Is it cultural love? And, and here's what I'm convinced of. I speak out of conviction tonight. I speak out of conviction not in the place. This is not what I'm trying to say, that, that when we look at this and we see, okay, if I'm to be called a disciple, then I need to have this love. So maybe if, I don't, if I'm not loving one another right now, then maybe I'm just kind of a bad witness. That's the way I process it in my brain. But I speak out of a different conviction tonight. Not out of that conviction, but I speak out of the conviction that if you are not loving one another, you don't truly know God. That's what the scriptures say. It's calling us out. This is not just one of many things that we need to think about or do or make room for in our leisure time. No, he says that, that people will know you by your love for one another. C.S. Lewis challenges us, and he says it well because some of us, we got to jump. we got to step over our fear and be willing to do some hard work and step into love. And I, I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid, avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and perturbations of love is hell. You might be here today, and you say, man, I've given up on love. That is in my past. I have let go of it, and maybe you have given up on the idea of love. Maybe you have given up uh, faith in love. Maybe you have given up trying to love. But let me tell you something today. In the kingdom of God, that is not an option. God's love has saved us from an endless pursuit of imitation love, of cultural love. His love comes into us and he saves us from those things. And here's what he says. He says, he says listen, people will not know you are mine unless you love one another. 
unless you know what my love is. Have you ever known somebody that loves like Jesus loves? I think of people like David and Anne Grizzle. David, this past week, uh, had a stroke and went into the hospital. And it was amazing to see what happened when, when this happened. And praise God, he's out of the hospital. He's doing well. We're, we're praising God for that and continue to pray for him. But it was amazing. And within an hour of that happening, there's 15 to 20 guys who are calling up and praying for David and, and interested in him. Why? Because he loves people like Jesus loves him. He reaches out, he gets to know him, he loves on him. And I mean, he takes it a step beyond. He's, he's in the emergency vehicle on the way to the hospital. He says, I got to call my wife. He gets a cell phone, calls Ann. He says, Ann, listen, I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm on the way to the hospital, to the ER, but listen, tonight is my guys group. You got to let the guys group know that I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I mean, that's calling a new standard of small group leadership right there, making the rest of us feel a little bit guilty, right? He loves, they love on people like Jesus loves. I think of, of people uh, like Scott and Sandra uh, who have been coming for a number of years now and, and have, you get around these, and Scott leads groups and Sandra, any, anyone who steps in front of Sandra will experience the love of God because she just loves on people. I mean, Ella uh, thought Miss Sandra was coming over to our house and she was so excited. She figured out that she had the wrong night and she started crying because she loves Miss Sandra. <laughs> Because Miss Sandra knows how to love her. And they make you feel like you are the most important person in the room. I think of, of people like Adam Mayer, who's a part of this congregation, who just, he's just constantly there and doing things for you. I think of, of people like the Fears, Doug and Kate Fears, who are part of this, a part of NCC. And, and I mean, these are, the Fears are people, when, when you ask them for a favor, it feels like they are, are doing you a favor. If that, I'm sorry, did I say that right? When you ask them for a favor, it feels like they are doing you a favor. I did get it out right. Um, it, here's the thing, you, you know, you talk to Kate, and she'll say, you know, hey, Kate, you know, we can't get over to school. Would you mind taking Ella to school? Sure, I would love to. Thank you. I was thinking Ella and Joshua should connect, and so that is such a one. Oh my, thanks for letting me doing that. Hey, listen, you know, no problem. Just, you know, it's fine, but you owe me one now, you know, like, okay, you remember this, what I'm, I mean, they are so selfless, they make you feel like you're doing them a favor when, when they're doing, it's just people who know Christ and who love like Christ, they get in your spirit, you're attracted to them, you're drawn to them, right, you, when you see people who truly love God, it draws you in not only to them, but it draws you closer to God. There are four distinct Greek words for love. Eros uh, is sensual or sexual type of love. We see the word phileo, and it means friendship or a brotherly love. It's where we get the word, the city Philadelphia comes from the root word phileo, meaning city of brotherly love. We have the word storge, which is more of an affection type of a love. And then we come to the fourth, which is the word agape. Agape is the word that we find in our text today for love. Agape is an unconditional love. It's, uh, it's a true love, very different from attractional love. And we see, and in many ways, it relates to the idea of obedience unto God. And it refers to action over feeling. 
So an example would be if you look at Matthew chapter 5, right? And you see this, this call from Jesus. He says, love your enemies. And what he's saying there, he's not saying have a good feeling towards your enemies, right? He's saying despite, regardless of your feeling towards your enemy, have agape, have action. Love them in action regardless of what's going on in your spirit inside. We see John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to us, right? Now, God did not feel good about giving his son, but no, he decided to act on love despite the feelings that come with us. You look at 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what is love. Jesus died for us. It's action, not feeling. Jesus comes into the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood, right? He's in pain. Anything I can do not to do this. His feelings are against it. But in spite of his feelings, he has agape. He has love for us, and he will act on his love for us despite those feelings going on inside. We're in the beginning of Lent season right now, and a lot of us are fasting right now. And, and uh, you know, how many here today are started a fast but aren't doing it anymore? Let me see your... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, just have a little fun. Anytime I go into a season of fasting, it's, it's an interesting time for me because I have the, uh, this anticipation, this expectation that this is going to be like the most spiritual time of my life. And I feel like I'm going to live in some type of spiritual euphoria, right? And I'm going to be like hovering off of the ground because of what God is doing. But, but I found that it's actually the opposite. When I'm fasting, I never feel more unspiritual. Anyone else with me on this one? Like, I am annoyed by little things in my house and around me, and I'm groggy, and I'm just sick of people, and, like, I feel very unspiritual. And how many of you know that, like, during the Lent season, 90% of commercials are about food? Why is this? Advertisers know that I'm on a fast, and they're coming against me. And, like, every other commercial is a, ham a juicy hamburger with cheese, like, melting down the sides, and it's staring at me, and I haven't wanted McDonald's since I was like 10 years old, but I give my right kneecap for a hamburger, and like it is torture in my brain. And, and, but here's what happens when, when you go into fasting. You, 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 know, you, you punish your body in a sense, right? You deny your body, and here's what happens. You realize your weakness, don't you? You are acutely aware of your weakness. I am acutely aware of my weakness, like 23 hours of the day out of 20. And, and, but then what happens in your weakness? Then you begin to realize your dependence on God. Now, if it's more than a diet, if you're fasting something, but then you're pursuing God, here's what happens in the midst of that. In the midst of understanding your, weak, understanding your weakness and, and pursuing God, something happens and it's called focus. For me right now, in the, in the middle of this fast, man, I am more focused than I've been in a while. I'm tuned in because starting my day on my knees and ending it on my knees and, and, suffer and denying my body, I am forced to focus on the things of God, on the purposes of God, on his purposes for my life, and reward always follows decision. You make a decision to do this thing, and it doesn't feel good. I don't feel spiritual to fast, but listen, when I make that decision, reward always follows. The same is true in relationship. The more intense you get, the more you expect to feel love towards someone, right? 
But I've found that the, often the more intense you get in relationship, the more you begin to get to know that person and get to know their habits and get to know their faults and their little picadillos and their weaknesses. And, and when you get to, you start to feel like, okay, this is wrong. But maybe it's actually right because you are going from a place of love that comes from feeling to, to agape, love that is unconditional and accepts somebody with their faults and their inabilities and their weaknesses. And, and that's when you enter into a place of focus. Not focus on your own needs, but focus on somebody else's needs. And are you willing to go there? The stalls are clean where there are no oxen. Are you ready? Are you willing to enter into that place to allow some stuff to come in, but to keep moving forward to follow the Spirit of Christ? There's a big difference between need love and gift love. One love is motivated out of fulfilling our own needs, right? The other love is motivated out of fulfilling the needs of somebody else. Our society pushes this idea of contractual relationship. It's, it's relationship that is based on, okay, I need you to, to meet these needs in me, and I will supply your needs. And if, if it doesn't work out, then we just go our separate ways. The scriptures pervade a, a very different idea of relationship. It, instead of contractual relationship, it talks about covenantal relationship, where things are not based on the supply of needs, but things are based on a covenantal commitment to another person and to meeting the needs of somebody else. It's based on God instead of being based on terms. So to covenant, come into covenant, Jesus comes along and, and he shows us what this looks like. He says, I see you. Wow, I see you. Oof, I see you. Ah, ooh, ugly. I see. And he sees everything that is right and wrong with us. And he says, you know what? Take the contact, rip it up, throw it out. I love you unconditionally. I've seen what you have done to the Father. I've seen your sins and the way you have ignored his will, and I love you anyway. I am committed to you. I am committed to your future. He shows us pure love. What's holding you back from loving like Jesus loves? Is it forgiveness? Is it bitterness? Is it laziness? Is it a lack of intentionality? What's holding you back today from loving the way that Jesus loves? Because I got some good news for you. The consequence to forgiveness is peace. The consequence to intentionality is strength. The consequence to stepping into problems is growth. I read this scripture, and I've, I've read it for so many years with a dot, dot, dot at the end of it. You will be my disciples if you love. All right, got it, dot, dot, dot. I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm heading over here, you head over there, all right, I got fourth and K northeast, you take this part of southeast, we'll go and we'll go do this thing, and, and people will see as disciples of Christ and will prevail, but, but I get ahead of myself and I do the dot, dot, dot thing. That's not what the scripture says. It says, you will be seen as my disciples if you love dot, 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 one another. I always thought that the way I loved at somebody would show Christ, but it's the way I love with somebody that reveals the glory of God. 
Felicia and, and Michael Olin are NCCers for a number of years now, and they live close to us, and we're uh, friends with them. And one day, Felicia shows up at our front door with a freshly baked pie. Hallelujah. And there was no agenda to it. She just showed up to be a blessing. Let me tell you something. We were blessed. Mission accomplished. If you ever want to bless us, show up at our front door with food. Except during Lent. Please do not come to our door with a juicy hamburger, with a cheese that's running down the side, and I, you know, like my knee, I want to keep my kneecaps and that kind of thing. And list, she shows up, and she's got this beautiful... And so... Uh, you know, we end up consuming this thing pretty quick and, and do our thing. But later, uh, later on that week, we go out with a couple of our neighbors and, and we're out and about and, and the conversation comes up about this lady showing up with this pie. And we start, you know, she just came and no, she didn't have, she just wanted to be a blessing to us. She's a good sister. She's a part of our church. And, and it was the same couple that we had invited over after Renzi was born and and you got, my wife always calls me out. She says, you know, I think you want to keep having kids because of all the free meals that come with the first two weeks. And, and I said, baby, that's, what are you talking about? You're saying maybe. Like, absolutely that's true. That's the only, you think I like these little aliens? Like, I don't want to be around. No, just kidding. I love them. Come on. Usually. But... And, and so we're talking, and they, so we invited them right after Renzi was born. We had this cheesecake, and so they come over and hang out, and we're, you know, you know blessing the church together, and, the, and they don't go to church, but they're drawn, they're attracted to this love, right? They're attracted to life-giving relationship. That's attractional. That goes outside of this little circle to other people. The same, apply it to your family at your home. Studies show that, that it's important for spouses to show love to one another just as they show love to the kids. And so one thing that, that I try to do, not always successful, when I come home, I'll try to catch just a moment or two just to connect with Nina. And then I'll go grab my kids and start throwing them around and having a good time. But, you know, our kids need our love. But our kids need us to show them what love looks like. They need us to show them healthy relationships. When we come together, something different happens. People see Christ in us, and they see Christ in their own life. When you live in faith with somebody, people begin to see faith come through you. It's the synergistic tendencies of the kingdom of God. When you have active love with another believer, you produce a result that is not attainable individually. That's just how it works. We're talking with a pastor this week, and she brings up the idea, you know, uh, a horse can pull, can carry about two tons. So then when you take two horses, it should be about four tons, right? But it doesn't work that way. You bring two horses, and it's 18 tons that they can carry. Something happens when in a synergy, in a level of togetherness, something changes. The equation changes when, when many of us come together. One of my goals during Lent has just, to, has just been a very simple idea. I want to share the gospel every single day with somebody. And so I'm trying to get out and do this. And, and you start to observe things. Like there's a different level of receptivity. To certain people and in different cases. And, and what I've found, though, has been really interesting because those times when I've shared in the context of relationship, 
are always so much more successful than the other times. And I'm not just talking about like this relationship at somebody. I'm talking about the with when I have somebody else with me and we talk gospel, we talk the love of Christ. And listen, gospel is what? Gospel is the good news, but gospel is a person. It's Jesus Christ. When we share the gospel, we are sharing Jesus. So in the context of relationship, it it can make much more sense. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. But when you're in relationship, the, the presence of Christ is revealed. That's why he calls us to these things. Jesus begins by saying, I give you a new command. Love one another. We all know the Ten Commandments. We know the, the great command, right? It's just love God and then love your neighbor. And we know the golden rule, right? We, were, we heard that growing up, the, the idea of doing to others as they want, you want them to do to you. And, but then we come to this scripture, and, and Jesus says, I give you a new, not an alternative command, a new command. But not only does he give a new command, he gives a new standard of love. He's saying, you know what? I, I don't want you just to love like you want to be loved. I want you to love, verse 34. I want you, to, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Your standard of love is no longer yourself. Your standard of love is Christ. You can't talk about uh, uh, verse 35 without going back to verse 34. You can't talk about loving your brother or your sister or your spouse or your neighbor. You can't talk about those things without talking about the love of Christ. So how do we define the love of Christ? What does he show us? Let me just hit a few things today as we look at this. Well, first, first the idea is this, that when he lived, he was a servant. When he died, he was a savior. He served those around him. The context before the content takes us back into the first part of chapter 13, and we see that Jesus comes together with his disciples, and it's what's called the Last Supper, and they sit down, and Jesus does the unthinkable. He grabs a towel. He puts the towel around his waist. He kneels down, and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, this is, this is not only uncommon. This is not socially acceptable. He is the master. He is not called to love in this way, to care for, to serve his disciples in, in this way. But he does something. He, he brings a mode of a new level of leadership to those around him. And we see it in 13, verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. When's the last time that you helped somebody move? When's the last time that you invited somebody over for dinner? When's the last time that, that you just took time to sit and to serve somebody, to get dirty with somebody, for somebody? When's the last time you cleaned the dishes that you didn't have to for a friend? How are you serving in love? He lived as a servant. He died as a savior. If we want to love like Jesus loved, first, service. Second, sacrifice. Jesus says, I love you in this, that I will go all the way to the cross for you. I will die. How much do I love you? I love you this much. And he gives his entire life as a ransom for us because of those wrongs that we committed towards the Father. 
How are we sacrificing for those around us? How are we loving like Jesus loved us? When's the last time that you sacrificed something for a brother? When's the last time that you denied yourself of something you wanted or desired so that a sister could get something that that she wanted? Number one, service. Number two, sacrifice. Number three, faithfulness. Jesus was there for people. When others tried to get rid of certain people, Jesus would say, you know what? Come on, bring them over here. Hey, let them come to me. He talked to the kids, and he talked to the blind, and he talked to the beggar, and, and he always made time. And, and Jesus was, he would become inefficient in his time for the cause of one. That convicts me, because I'm always trying to be most efficient with my time. And, and it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes just to be, pre- but Jesus was present with people. He was there. He looked people in the eye. He heard them. He heard their request. He called on God. He healed people. He was present. He was missed. He was willing to give his time and faithfulness towards those around. But we have no time for people. Hmm? We love when we call somebody and we get their voicemail. Sweet, I don't have to talk. I can just leave a message. We love texting because we don't have to spend more time than we need to on that conversation. We have Facebook friends instead of real friends. We, we cannot give our time. We We hold so dear our time to ourselves, we're not willing to be present with the people in our lives. Are we willing to be faithful, to give our time to those people around us? Last week, we laid down to go to sleep, and and we started to hear noises next door to us. And um, and we've got some interesting stories in our neighborhood, (laughs) and uh, we won't, but so we're, and we hear... We hear uh, some of these noises, and first, like, are they doing construction? And then it sounds like, are they throwing couches down the stairs? Like, and it got worse and louder and louder. So finally, I get up, I go downstairs, and I see this guy outside punching the garbage can. And so I go out and just kind of look for a second, and then say, hey, you okay, man? And he kind of runs back inside, all right? So I go in, and two minutes later, pounding starts again. So I go downstairs again, and I see him outside, and, uh, and I look out, and, he, and he's got his, his shorts on, and this is one of the cold nights that we had last week. He's got his shorts on and no shirt on, and he's jumping up and down in the garbage can. And I'm realizing he's, you know, he's probably not high on the spirit right now, um, but yeah. And, and, so I, and so I go out, and this time I'm a little more forceful, like, hey, you know, what's going on? Hey, we're, you know, we got a bunch of, we got like 55 kids upstairs trying to sleep. And, but, you know, a lot of meals in the fridge, so that's good. But, and, but what's, you know, our kids are trying to sleep. So what do you, so, hey, I'm so sorry, man. I apologize. And so he goes back in and I go in. Two minutes later, here it comes again. And this time, like, I'm really frustrated. And so I go out in the front and he ends up coming out and we're talking. And I'm like really pushing this time. Like, what's going on? Like, what's happening? And, and, you know, you need to get your roommates to come out here like this. Needs to, and 20 minutes later, the guy is bawling on his front steps of his house. I mean, he's just, he's lost it. It was a long night, you guys. <laughs> 1.30 a.m. Nina and I are seeking the Lord. We're praying for this friend. We're seeking, and listen, not long after that, we're, we're texting with, with his roommate, and we're texting prayers over to him. And, and, and you know what? We, we, 
We switched over, and it, there was fruit from this situation. God used this situation, and he stepped in to take it from an annoyance to an opportunity. Now listen, at some point, we had to make the switch to go from trying to efficiently deal with an annoying situation to understanding that maybe God has a plan and a purpose, and I'm not going to be efficient in, in my mind with my time, but I'm going to give myself to what the Lord wants, to, and I'm going to be present here right here, right now, a love that is in your face, that is right here, right now, and committed to this moment? Are we committed to love those people that are in our lives? Are we committed to love those relationships that God has offered to us? Are we willing to give ourselves and our time? Are we willing to be faithful to those around us? Listen, we got to be faithful to those we love, but we also have to be faith-filled for those that we love, to, for those that we're in relationship with. The idea is this, that, that faithfulness, yes, we have to be present and there, but it's more than just a presence, isn't it? When you are faith-filled, you see things with God's eyes and you speak life into those things. I'm not just talking about living in positivity because Jesus gives us a good example with Peter and he says, you know, you're going to deny me three times. He says, get behind me, Satan. And poor Peter, like, you know, he went from Simon to Satan to Peter. Like, the, the name changes he goes through with Jesus, he's got whiplash from all the names he's getting. And, but at the end of the day, what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and he says, now listen, I will, will build my church on the rock. You will be a part of the foundation that I want to build upon in the future. He looks into him and he is present with Peter. He is faithful to Peter. But he's not just faithful, he is faithful looking into Peter's eyes and seeing what God might do in the future. And what does he do? He calls those things out of him. The closer we get to people, what happens? The more we get to know them, don't we? The more we begin to understand their faults. And the more sometimes we begin to think about those things and focus on them and call them out and speak them by name. Hmm? And we begin to call those things, and we talk about them, and we live in that place of just seeing what they are or what they have been in the past. But, but when, you, when you look at the Scriptures, you see a different principle. You see that you are not defined by what you have done in the past. You are defined by what God wants to do in the future. Listen, this is scriptural. You, you look at, go back to last week's sermon. Pastor Heather talked about Jacob wrestling with God, right? And we see this story, and God comes along, and they're wrestling. And God says, what's your name? He says, Jacob. It means deceiver. And names were, you were given a name to define what you had done in the past. In the Old Testament, he says, I'm a deceiver. And God looks at him, and he says, no, your new name is Israel. Israel means father of many nations. Listen, you guys, he was not the father of many nations at that moment. But when you enter into the presence of God, something happens. You are not defined by what you have done in the past. You are defined by what God wants to do in you in the future. And in our relationships, you know, what do you see in your spouse? What do you see in your friend? How quickly are you able to call those things out that they have done wrong in the past? You know, sometimes I'll get together with couples who are having trouble in their marriage, and I just ask this question, you know, 
just tell me, you know, what's, what's part of the problem? What do you see part of the problem in your spouse? And, and it's like, name that tune, you guys. It's like, oh, yeah, give me 10 seconds. I'll tell you the top five things that they're doing wrong. And I think I can spout them off and this, this, and this. And, and then, I, you know, I say something like, now tell me about, like, what do you think God is going to do through them in the future? Huh? What do you, what do you mean? I don't, I don't get, like, what do you think... God is going to do through your spouse in the future. You know, when we say we love our spouse, or we say we love our friend, and we, you know, we enter into this idea, but all we get focused on is what is wrong, what they have done in the past, instead of God has a, a vision for our lives. And what we do is we look at them, and you know what? We just, we call those things out, and we live in their history, don't we? We love to bring it up. We love to remind them of what they have done in their history instead of looking at them and, and calling them by that name, by what they have done. Can we look at them and see them as God sees them and call out their name that God sees in them and call out those things that are not yet, that do not exist yet, but that God wants to do through them? It's the difference between faithful, being present, and being faithful filled and seeing what God wants to do to them in the future. Are we a prophet to our friends? Are we a prophet to our spouses? Are we going to God and seeking? How do we do this? You know, how do we enter this place? It's, it's simple. I'll give you four words, two ideas. Pray with, pray for. Easy, oversimplified. Pray with, pray for. Are you praying with your friend? Are you praying with your spouse? During this season of Lent, I've just gotten a small group of guys together for no other purpose than to pray with. Jesus gets Peter and John together for no other purpose than to pray with. Just to, to seek the Lord. James 5, uh, verse 16 Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What's that mean? Transparency plus prayer equals healing. If you are transparent, if you share with somebody, with that friend, if you share openly with them, and if you're willing to go to God and enter him into the equation, when, Christ, when you enter transparency and prayer, love will manifest itself. It's the simplest idea, but it's the easiest application from this sermon. What if you take two of your friends two acquaintances, and you add these two things. You take an hour a week, you pray for, you pray with. Are you praying with your spouse? Are you praying with your friends? It's been awesome just in this, the experiment, I think we're calling it, uh, at 7.14 a.m., we're getting on our knees, right? And if you're not doing it, hey, it's, it's okay. Jump in with us. You'll see in your bulletin, uh, there's a number that you can text into in every uh, morning at 7.14, you'll get a text to remind you. But every single morning, Nina and I are getting on our knees at 7.14 or earlier, and we're holding hands and we're seeking God together. Every single night before we go to bed, we get on our knees, we seek the Lord together. We are praying with one another, and it changes the in-between. <laughs> because our life is way too busy and way too stressful right now. But listen, this changes our attitudes towards one another. We're looking out for the other person. We're caring for them. We're actively involved in their life. Are you praying for your friend? And I don't mean a quick like, all right, God, help them. Someone comes to your mind, God, help them. Amen. All right. Hey, I was praying for you the other day. 
Pastor Allen, and it, you know, what's going on? No, praying. For, are you seeking God for them? <coughs> are you calling out to God <clears throat> for your friends? One of my guys came to mind this week. You know what I did? I went in. I found two minutes. I got literally on my knees and began to seek the Lord. Something happens right here, you guys. I don't know what it is. It's like physical posture does something. When you get on your knees, you're humbled. I began to seek God on my knees for my friend and just begin to call those things out. We had one day, Nina was having kind of a rough morning. And later in that day, I got on my knees. I began to seek God for her. And it changed her day. Her heart was changed in the midst of those things. Are we seeking God for our friends? Are we seeking God for our neighbors? Are we seeking God for our spouses? <clears throat> pray with, pray for. We miss out on the reward because we're unwilling to sow a seed. Hmm? We miss out on those benefits because we're unwilling to sow a seed. And then we sit there looking at the soil of life, waiting for these, these fruitful relationships to sprout up, these loving relationships to come into effect when we haven't sowed any, so, any seed in the soil. And the water comes, and God comes, and the rain's coming down, and we're saying, why isn't anything coming up? It's because we haven't sowed any seed into the soil. You've got to sow if you want to see the reward of the relationships come about. That's how it works. It's kingdom principles. When we took a team to, to St. Louis uh, about a month and a half ago, and it was awesome to see this, where this church had started. And we, we came in and we heard about the relationship of three people. There's Brian, the church planner. There's Brad, his brother, a guy who had just ran from the Lord for a long time. And then there's a guy named Ronnie, who's Brian's neighbor and who has gone through some things. And so they were the original group. They would get together and they would do James 5.16. They'd share life, transparency, and they'd pray for one another. And that's where they leave it. And that's how they grew in relationship. And that's where the church started. And so it was awesome. You guys were there. And we see the church launched and, um, and their first gathering were a part of that. And then afterwards, we had this after party, right? And it was really cool. And so Ronnie gets up at the after party and he just shares his story. Man, when I was younger, my girlfriend was raped. And he said, I went and found that guy who raped her and I killed him. And he said, I was in prison for 18 years. And I got out, and man, I haven't been to church in a long time, but I live next door with eight of my brothers and sisters, and they're all older now, and, and I got a rough life, and things aren't going well, but these Brian and Brad came along, and they invited me in, and you guys became my church. And this is the first time I've been in church in a long time, but it's good to be back. And he's sharing this, and you know, some, some eyes are getting sweaty, and, and just this testimony of God, and then Brad gets up. And he starts to share, man, I've been running from God for so long, but the only thing that, that kept me in this game is, Brian, you just kept loving on me, man. You were there. You were faithful. And he starts to lose it, you guys. And uh, man, he's, he's a cousin of mine, and he's a, it was hitting me a little bit. And he's talking about Brian. He says, man, I should be dead. I should be in hell. But Brian, you just kept loving on me. 
And it was this pure, this beautiful love. And you're listening to these three guys talk about their relationships and see how God has affected them and drawn them closer together. And you're sitting there going, man, they are so lucky to have, that is awesome. It's amazing to see the blessings within that circle. But listen, you're sitting there watching that and you realize the blessing is not in that circle. Christ is not just in that circle because we're all looking on and you might hear it today and be encouraged. And you look at this and you realize that's God. God is in, I want a part of that. Man, how can I grow towards that? You see Christ when people enter into love for one another, when they begin to pray for each other, when they begin to pray with each other, the equation is changed. When we come together, listen, the scriptures say where, uh, where two or three are gathered, I am there. It's as though the triune God is looking down and, and looking for what is like me, if you will. And he looks and he says, I will go there. That's like me. We see in the Old Testament that a cord of two strands is strong, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This idea that when you take God and you enter him intentionally into your relationship with a friend, with a spouse, with a neighbor, when you enter him into this equation, everything is changed. You find a new strength within. You find encouragement within. You begin to call things out as though they were in the midst of friendship, in the midst of relationship, and you begin to step in to be what? To be his disciples. You gotta love talking about love because I don't think most people are gonna disagree that we should love. <laughs> this is a little bit of an easy one in that respect, but the idea is not that you just agree that we need to love one another. The idea is this. How do we apply it? How do we apply this to our lives this week, I've, I've just been praying over and over, God, help us to take this, to apply it, and to spend time intentional in relationship. If you can help us, Lord, just to take one or two people that are already in our lives and add into the equation prayer for them and prayer with them and transparency, everything can change. So God, we come before you right now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your calling. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your service. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you that you are faith-filled for us, God. We thank you that you call us out, Lord. We thank you that you look into us, God, and you love us perfectly. We thank you that you know us. We thank you that you know our past, our history, our rights, our wrongs. We thank you that you look at us and you still love us. You still care for us. You still call us out to come out of the darkness into the light. And I pray today, Jesus, that we would look inward. I don't care what background we come into this place with. That does not matter. We see that Jesus was called out for coming from Galilee, but then he steps forward, Lord, and, and he does miracles. I pray that none of us would shy away from your calling on our lives because of where we come from, because of where we've been, or because of what we've done. But I pray today, God, that we would understand that we are not defined by our past. No, we are not. We are not defined by those actions that sometimes feel like they control us. No, we are not. We are defined by freedom that comes through Christ. Because yesterday was yesterday, and today is today. Today is a new day, and your mercies are new this day. Your mercies were new this morning. They are new today, right now in this place. And your mercies are evident within our lives. And God, we don't speak out of conviction today because 
we're just falling short of what we maybe should do. We speak out of conviction because this is your heart, God. Let us be compelled by your love. Let us be compelled by your love to love those around us. Lord, we miss it. We miss it if we don't dare, if we don't risk to love, Father. So strengthen us today. I pray that you would give us courage not to be apathetic in this message, but give us courage to step out from here and to add intentionality to our relationships, to invite you into the equation of our relationships, Lord. We pray today that you would go with us in your grace, your power, and your love. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.